Last Sunday was wonderful. Dally was just sharing, among other things, his incredible heart for prayer, and uh, which is really why I asked him. I said, please, would you talk about prayer with us, Dally? And, and he did. He imparted his wonderful passion for prayer. And to keep building towards that week, I wanted us to um, turn to, um, there we go, Genesis chapter 28. So if you've got your Bibles, you might like to flick through um, to Genesis chapter 28. And uh, we'll look at that in a second, but even as you're, you're looking up that passage, I want to start by asking you something. The question I've got for you is this. Have you ever found yourself in a place that, has seemed, to be, that seemed to be one thing, and then you were shocked when you realized it had turned into something else? Right? That's the question. Have you ever found yourself in a place that has seemed to be one thing and then has shocked you by turning out to be something else entirely? All right? Has that ever happened to you? My, my best example of this, I've probably shared it once or twice before, but it happened quite some time ago down in the CBD, down by Wellington Airport, in fact. And uh, every now and then I go and see folks down in the central CBD area of Wellington. I, I go and see one or two people, uh, appointments here and there. Um, but the great thing is that if I've got time between one appointment and the next, I'll often take my Bible and disappear up into the hills around the Wellington and, and pray. And uh, I've had some wonderful times of prayer up in the hills around the kind of CBD area and uh, times when I felt God really meet with me, times of prayer. So I know those hills, I'm very familiar with them. And uh, on this one occasion, I remember over by the airport, You've got um, Miramar there and the Miramar Hills around there, around Shelley Bay and around those places. And uh, anyway, I'm there with my Bible and, I, and I'm walking up a goat track and there's no one else around and I'm walking and praying as I do. And uh, there's the odd sheep over there and a cow over there or something. It's just a track. And I'm walking and walking, I'm praying and praying. And then I just, I remember casually looking up and, uh, and this is what I saw. <laughs> and... Um, and it's really huge. It was about three or four stories high, this massive ape. And I had just appeared right before. I was just standing there, and I saw this thing. I mean, and I still remember how totally rocked I was by what I saw, because it was the last thing on earth you expect to see. I'm in the Bible praying, God, bless me, bless me. Ape. I'm thinking, what do you do? And uh, I still remember being totally shocked until the penny dropped and I realized that I was on the film studio where Peter Jackson was making King Kong. Remember King Kong being made all those years ago? And uh, I didn't realize I'd walked actually onto the film set. And uh, I knew that because a, a security guard jumped out from behind a bush and said, you can't be here. And I, I thought, I was already still star. I said, why? He says, no, they're filming today. The actors are there. The cameras are running. The lights are running. You shouldn't be here. So if you ever get a chance to watch King Kong again, right, <laughs> if you look in the little corner of one of the big scenes, you'll see this guy with a Bible going. <laughs> the point is, until that, until that moment, the place I was in seemed so ordinary and dull, all right? And then suddenly, it turned out to be something else. And when I realized it, it blew me away. Now, it's in the light of that I want us to read Genesis 28. And Julian's going to come forward and read the passage. 
Uh, most of it will appear right here on the screen, so if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. But uh, it's in the light of this I want us to approach this passage. Okay, thanks, Julia. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Excellent. Thank you so much, Julian. All right, so the background, you know the story, most of you. Jacob is on, off on his own. He's on the run. Right, he's fleeing his brother Esau. Remember, he had tricked Esau out of his inheritance, and he's kind of in the bad books with his dad as well because he's tricked him. And so he's had to leave his home and all that he's ever had, ever been familiar with, and he's on the run, running towards a place he's never been to and to a people he's never met. So he's on the run, and the sun's going down, and he's on his own, and he has to stop for the night, and he comes to what we're told is just a certain place, a very ordinary-looking place. And all we're told is that there's a rock there that he can rest his head on. He goes to sleep, and then he has this incredible dream. I mean, imagine having a dream like Jacob. You know, heaven open, stairway, gods, angels, this incredible, incredible dream. And then you have these next two verses here, these verses in particular, these last verses. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In other words, this plain, ordinary place is transformed into something extraordinary. That's the point. It's the house of God. And, and I guess over the years, I've often been drawn back to this passage because, I don't know, deep down inside my soul, I've always had a yearning that God's people would, would have a strong understanding of what it truly means to be the house of God. And how awesome that is. Because I suspect that many believers still don't really understand it. Still don't realize just where they are. And of course the local church is called to be that very thing. The house of God. The New Testament clearly teaches that. I mean Paul when he, he writes to the Corinthians he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple or, or God's house? It's as if he's saying, wake up everybody. Don't you know where you are? And then he writes to the Ephesian church, he says, you are being built together to become a house in which God lives. That's what the local church is called to be. And I just, I don't know about you, but I, 
I long for us and for the church wide, broader than us, to come into a sense of the wonder of that and the expectation that that should bring. Don't you long for that? If there's one passion I have, it's that, which is why, which is why I love the story, because, because immediately you can see in it a couple of simple things that highlight just why the house of God can be a truly awesome place to be among. And I just want to quickly throw them out to you for you to pray about and think about and to be reminded of. So I'm going to just pray again because, man, I'm so aware that I can say a few words, but, but, but God is in this place. That's the, that's the ace up our sleeve. God is here. And I'm going to pray that he, by his spirit, would speak to us about his own house. Father, I want to thank you so much that you are here. I want to just say to you, this isn't an ordinary place with a rock. I want to say how awesome is this place. Please, Lord, by your spirit, speak that truth deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, first thing I note, just as an aside really, is that this house of God that Jacob wandered into has got nothing to do with the externals, with what's on the outside. All right? It's a very ordinary place, just a rock. All right? There's not a, any kind of clue at all. There's not a stained glass window anywhere or a cushy carpet or a smoke machine to be found. All right? This is an ordinary place, just a rock, which immediately, I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging because we are in one of the most ordinary places on the planet, all right, a school hall. You can't do much with it. And uh, <laughs> hallelujah, the house of God is not dependent on surroundings. And that's especially encouraging on cold winter mornings, isn't it? When you're coming in through the car park and it's freezing and those who are welcoming you on the door are shaking, welcome. And those who have been here earlier have set up and they come in blue and shaking and trying to get the heating started. No, God's house is not dependent on externals. So, so what makes this the house of God? Well, it's here in this one phrase. The Lord is in this place. And that's not an empty claim of Jacob's. I mean, he's seen it. Stairway reaching to heaven, angels coming and going, God standing there, God speaking, the Lord truly is in this place. And that's it. That's the ultimate distinctive. I love what a, a Gordon Fee says. Gordon Fee says this, The church is the place of God's own personal presence by the Spirit. This is what marks off God's new people from all the other people on the face of the earth, the presence of God by the Spirit. And can I just say here, by way of testimony really, that's why I love, that's why we love the Holy Spirit. Wairua Tapu in this church. We do. And I say love unapologetically because you see, it's not enough to acknowledge the Spirit in our theology. And it's not enough to say, as many do, yes, we are open to the Spirit. Folks, we love the Spirit and we want to love Him more. We love the Spirit. We're thirsty for more of Him because He's the presence of God upon earth. He is God among us. 
Crucially, he's the one through whom we experience God's love. Romans 5.5, Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's a sense where the Spirit is the embrace of God, the embrace of the Father. I mean, how many of you parents, uh, when you want your kids to know that you love them, you don't just write to them and say, I love you, claim it. <laughs> no, you don't. You gather them up in your, a little bundle and you wrap your arms around them. Folks, the Spirit is the Father's embrace, testifying with ours that we are children of God. So we treasure the Spirit. And we need more of him because he's also the empowerer, Acts 1.8. We need more power, as Dally was reminding us earlier. We need his grace and his power. He is the presence of God among us. And can I just also say, that's why we intentionally, we, we try, we're learning how to make more room in our gatherings to worship God. And we do that unapologetically because it's by worshipping him that we make space to engage with him. We do. We are drawing near to him on the promise that as we do, he will draw near to us. That's James 4. All right? And that's why we encourage each other to step out in prophecy or healing or, or any gift because the gifts we read in 1 Corinthians 12 are the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, they are the revealing of the Spirit's activity among us. So we love the Spirit and we're thirsty for more. You see, for my part, I grew up uh, in a t from a totally unchurched background. Never walked into a church in my life. My parents didn't believe, never had a church background. And so as a teenager, if you'd asked me what my picture of church was, it would be this. It would be old building full of old people singing old songs. That was my picture of church. And I'm so glad that when I eventually walked into a church meeting for the first time, that's not what I saw, because if I had, I would have turned around and walked out. Now, I walked into a church meeting very similar to this, really. And I still remember walking in. It was a Sunday night. And I walked in, and they began to play. And as they play, all I know was that God was in the room. I couldn't explain it, but I knew God was there. And that very night, I gave my life to the Lord. I was converted on the spot. I was the easiest convert out, I often say. I wish I'd put up more of a fight. You know, I just... No, I was the easiest... Because I met with God. Hallelujah. And there may be one or two of you feeling like that right now. Maybe you're visiting and you've come in and you've sat down and you've just started coming or maybe for the first time and you're thinking, I don't know what's going on, but there's something other than me in the room. Well, you're right. It's God. And he's calling you to himself. Can you see it's the true presence of God that makes a place the house of God? But you know, there's one other thing Jacob sees that marks out the house of God, and it's found when he refers to the house of God as this, as the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. That's a very evocative kind of phrase, isn't it? The gate of heaven. What does it mean? I know some have thought, well, well, what it's saying is that the church is where heaven touches the earth. And I'm sure that's partially true, but, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, a gate is something people go through. That's the point. Jacob was seeing angels going up and down through this gate. And for us here, as the house of God, as the gate of heaven, we are called to be the people through which heaven comes. 
through which heaven breaks out upon the earth. We are the gate of heaven. And that makes sense again because of what the New Testament church is. Here's another quote from, I think, a great biblical scholar, Michael Horton. He simply says this. He says, The church is that part of creation that has been redeemed and is being called into fellowship with the Son, get this, in anticipation of the renewal of the whole earth. That's a big statement. What does it mean? That last phrase particularly. Let me just unpack it. First, I want to just make something really clear to you this morning. God is going to renew the whole earth. All right? He is. God is going to bring all creation back under the headship of his Son. It's Ephesians 1. Hallelujah. In other words, there will come a day when all sin and the effects of sin will be totally destroyed and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and God will dwell among us and we will see him. No longer walking by faith, we shall see him among his glorious creation. It will be astonishing. And all human history is going towards that point. Hallelujah. But the real point is this for us. The new age of the kingdom has already started to break out on the earth. You're living in phenomenal times. It started when Jesus first appeared and started healing the sick and casting out demons and was proclaiming then, the kingdom is at hand. But when he rose from the dead, in that very act, he showed that the kingdom of heaven had inaugurated, had had launched, had truly started. He was the first fruits. The resurrected Christ is the first fruits of what you and I will be. And when he rose from the dead, it's like saying, the new creation has now come. The new age has begun. He was the first fruits of it. And listen, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are redeemed. We are born again, and that new creation is birthed in us by the Spirit. That's why Paul can say this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In other words, there is a part of you now that is already part of the new creation. That's astonishing. In fact, part of you is already there. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, your life is now hidden in Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. Or to turn it around, something of heaven is already in you. The new creation is in you. Can I just say, what an extraordinary bunch of people you are. How extraordinary you are. Now, I know on the outside, you may look very ordinary. I'm sorry. No, you look wonderful, really. Many of you do. No, you look smashing. No, no. On the outside, you're like everybody else. You drive the same kind of car. You pay your bills. You go to work. You put the kids through school, and you watch the the rugby, just like everyone else. But listen, you are fundamentally different now. Fundamentally different. On the inside, the new creation has begun. You carry something of heaven within you wherever you go. Look, when you walk into the office tomorrow or into your school or the university or the supermarket or out onto the streets, you carry heaven with you. Understand a deposit of the new creation is within you by the Spirit. And get this, and this is the crucial point, We are now a gateway through whom the new age of the kingdom continues to advance. 
Hallelujah. We've become the gate of heaven. Heaven is advancing through us. That's why over the last few Sundays I've so enjoyed hearing, you know, we've been hearing stories about ordinary people through whom God is doing extraordinary things. So we've heard from Dan and Lee and Jenny and Paul and Jan and Marianne and, and others. We've been hearing stories of how God is using them in all kinds of different ways. You see, what is that? Well, that's the kingdom influence. That's kingdom advance coming through God's people. Each one is a gate of heaven. And this kingdom will continue to advance until one day, as the Bible promises, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Guys, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but you are living now in the days of the greatest outpouring of God's Spirit since creation. There are nations being impacted by the gospel, by this advancing kingdom. There are continents being visited by the power of God. You won't read about it in the papers, but let me tell you it is happening. The kingdom is on the advance. Hallelujah. And so there's a whole momentum of the Spirit pushing you from behind. You are the gate of heaven, so reach out for more. The Spirit is looking to poke you and prod you and give you dreams and give you ideas and open initiatives for you to bring the kingdom in. Hallelujah. You are a gate of heaven. And then listen, finally, can I just say one more thing? And it's really to do with our week of prayer. Whenever the church gathers together in small groups or large, need to understand what we've just been talking about escalates even further. Goes upward several degrees. <laughs> so you need to understand that we're, just, we're talking about something that grows and grows. I, I love this verse, Matthew 18, I'll close with this. This is Jesus. He says this, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I among them. That's an incredible statement. And whatever else Jesus may be saying in those verses, what's clear is that where a group, small or large, gathers in his name to pray, he is there among them in a way that he is not when we're on our own. There is something potent and powerful when the church gathers to pray. There just is. There's something about praying as the house of God. Things are bound, loosed. Agreements are made that affect heaven and earth. And as we gather to pray in a few weeks' time, that's what will be happening. In that ordinary little office, just a rock on the, on the ground, in that ordinary office, it will become the house of God and the gate of heaven. And breakthroughs will happen. And God will speak. And I'm believing for heaven to be open. And we will exclaim, how awesome is this place. Things will be loosed and bound, agreements made, and eternity shifted because the church gathered to pray. Hallelujah. So come and be part of it. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven.
It doesn't matter about the externals. It matters whether he's with you and in that gathering. It doesn't matter about externals. Many years ago now, it seems to me, I was preaching to a group of teenagers. Those teenagers were aged from about 12 to 12 to 16, and maybe there were about a dozen or so of these teenagers. And uh, they weren't in a nice, spacious place, a lovely building. They were crammed in a downstairs office, really. And it was close, and the temperature was high, really hot, and it stank, and we're all shoulder to shoulder. And uh, what made that little gathering slightly extraordinary was that we were in the midst of a conflict. And by conflict, I mean this, that out in the streets, machine guns were firing and tracer bullets were arcing over the building and explosions were going off as hand grenades were thrown. We were literally in a military conflict. I've been going to Albania for a, a number of times, helping with a church that was being planted there. And uh, they asked me to go out again. And I knew something was up when on the phone I could hear guns going off in the background. But you must come. <laughs> so I went. And I found myself with this group of youngsters. And the fear in the room was great. And the American embassy had closed down and pulled out all of its staff. The British had done too. The UN was still there. We were getting radio reports of people being killed just down the road. The local army had pulled out, the police had gone, and we were on the front line. And I remember those guns firing all around, and we knew that that night something was going to happen. And these teenagers were there. And each one had an incredible story. You know, one of these teens had, she just come back from Turkey where she'd been sold into the white slave trade, because in Albania that's what they did, they would kidnap girls off the street. And she'd made her way back from Turkey and then being thrown out by a family because, because they ostracized her because of that. And here she was. There was another girl who had survived a hand grenade attack just to come to church. But because she'd walking past a van at the time, the van had taken the full blast. And so she was there as well. <laughs> and we were in this little dirty room and I'm sitting there talking to them and we began to worship and their hands were in the air and all I can say is God was in that place. Tears rolling down their cheeks. The Spirit of God was there. And I realized again it's got nothing to do with externals. God can turn an ordinary place or a miserable place into glory. And then two weeks ago, I'm in deepest, darkest, wildest, wait, 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 be. Whitby, deepest, darkest, wildest Whitby. And I'm in a cozy little lounge and somebody is telling, me, telling us their story and there are tears and there is such a sense of God in the room. It's got nothing to do with externals. How awesome is this place? 